Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this week's Eternal Life 101. And we have spent the last two messages talking about has God rejected Israel? And, you know, if you haven't been listening or you're not familiar with what we're talking about here, then you may get kind of are tuning in as a curiosity factor going, what is this guy talking about? Is he one of these people who hate Jewish people? Oh, quite the contrary. I am very much a supporter of Israel. I am very much a supporter of the Jewish people. Strangely, I guess you could say I'm a Zionist. I believe that uh, Israel will be set up as God's kingdom in the world and light to the world, light to the Gentiles and riches to the world. Unfortunately, we'll have to go through hell on earth first. See also the book of Revelation in verses, I'm sorry, chapters 6 through 19. But in Re Revelation chapter 20, we are promised that there is a kingdom that will be for 1,000 years, I believe is a literal 1,000 years. And uh, I also believe that's in fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37 and many other Old Testament prophecies, not only about the new covenant, but the kingdom that will come and that the Messiah will rule over. So we've spent time in the last two weeks in Romans chapter 11 and is the Apostle Paul's treatise about the response then, has God given up on Israel then? And that is the logical response. If, if largely the church is Gentile or non-Jewish in origin, does that mean that God is done with Israel? And for 19 centuries almost, it kind of seemed like it might be that that might actually be the case because the nation of Israel was nowhere to be found. The Jewish people were still very much a distinct people in the world, but we did not have a corporate nation of Israel. We didn't have that until May 14th in 1948, where Israel was born in a day in fulfillment of Isaiah 66, verse 8. Shall a nation be born in a day and in a moment? Zion has given birth to her children, right? So we're going to pick up in verse 25 of chapter 11 and we were talking last week basically about the gentiles being grafted into the rich root of israel right they are partakers of the new covenant with israel in a very large fashion something that was alluded to slightly in the old testament but not really the new covenant was largely promised to the nation of israel and rightfully paul could say in colossians chapter one that he was the apostle of the mysterion the mystery of god to the secret things belong to the lord our god but to the things revealed belong to us and our children forever right so there was something that God promised to Israel that the Gentiles got to enjoy first. That was the big mystery. But we're going to pick up in verse 25 of chapter 11. And the subtitle of this in the English Standard Version is the mystery of Israel's salvation. Right? The mysterion. Right? So, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, this mysterion, right? Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's a thought going on in the church, um, those who are prophecy-minded, I should say. The thought is, is that God is saving out a people. He is saving out a nation for himself. He is saving out a, a kingdom of kings and priests, so to speak. 
I believe that the church will be governors and people helping him run the millennial reign of Christ when it happens. And I think, to be quite honest, if uh, Revelation 20 is any indication about the final rebellion at the end of the thousand years, I think we're going to see a population explosion unparalleled to what we've seen so far. That's why I think millions and millions of Christians who are saved and have been saved over the last 2,000 years and the, and the Jewish people who end up getting saved too, even though we're probably in the millions at this point, will pale in comparison to the population of the world at that time, right? Um, because uh, at the final rebellion in Revelation 20, it says, and the number of them who came against the Christ and his people and his city were like sands of the seashore. They were innumerable, right? Satan leads a host of an army again for the second time because in Revelation chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon is the world warring against God. They're not fighting each other. They're warring against the God of the universe. And then Satan does it again in Revelation 20. He leads a second rebellion. So it's this whole thing of, you know, let's throw the shackles off of this uh, this uh, theological dictator and we're going to rule the world. And they're done away with by the mere breath of God. Anyway, so the thought and process is, is that there are, God has a number of, of Gentiles that he wants to save. We could go on that whole uh, 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 debate on uh, free will versus predestination. This is not the podcast for that. Uh, regardless, uh, the fullness of Gentiles that Paul is talking about here, I believe that God has a number that he is looking for to be saved. And can you imagine being the last Gentile brought into the church before the rapture happens? I think that's kind of what he's referring to here. I think it's that the fullness of Gentiles is will be whenever the tribulation starts, the time of Jacob's trouble begins and Israel is then purified, right? So that's my thought and opinion there, and that's the thought and opinion of many other people who have read this and commented on it. We'll go, and go ahead and go on with, to verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So again, that's an Old Testament reference that we're talking about. In verse 28, as regards to the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So it is not this whole thing when Paul, Paul talks about them being enemies. I don't want you to think of it in terms of, you know, we, we need to fight against them. Because even Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If they strike you on one cheek, offer them the other as well. So we're not talking about people we have to resist. We're not talking about people we have to fight against. We're talking about people who are just merely against us. The Jewish people, by and large, to, in today's day and age, I think they're appreciative of Christians who are prophecy-minded because we support them and we fight for them and we advocate for them and all this and that, mostly because of election's sake. They are loved by God because of their forefathers. And like God said in Ezekiel chapter 37, for the sake of my own name and for no other reason, I'm going to do this, right? It is not for our sake that he does this per se, although he does this also in love. He does so to magnify his own name. And we, we sit here and we say that sounds so arrogant, but I think if we saw God, 
I don't think we would think that was arrogant. I would think we would think that is, no, that's well-deserved. Yes, brought, yeah, yep, absolutely, Lord. <laughs> you know, I think we would have a totally different tune if we saw him face-to-face. Again, picking it up in verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And the thought and process here is that God made a promise. He has made prophecies. He has promised that the descendants of Abraham would have the land forever and ever with only God being the binding party. He's made other prophecies about the new covenant being given to Israel. And we can't spiritualize it away or say, well, there's there's Jewish people in the church now. So that's that's what he was talking about in the Old Testament. No, we're talking about the corporate nation and kingdom of Israel. There will be a future kingdom. See also Ezekiel chapter 37, right? So the gifts and calling God are irrevocable in that sense. In verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that mercy might be shown to you, they also might now receive mercy. So the thought and process here is, is that basically we were disobedient. We were given over to disobedience so that in turn, God could be merciful to us. And at the present time, we see the Jewish people are disobedient now and they don't believe the gospel, but God will show them mercy eventually. In verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. So basically it's the idea and thought and process is that God has allowed sin to flourish in his sovereignty so then he could be merciful to those who were disobedient. And in response to that, Paul launches in to worship. He says, oh, the depths and riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid from him, uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So, yeah, that's kind of short. We're done with chapter 11. So, all of this to say in that we really have no right to call the Jewish people and all of Israel as done, ipso facto, rejected by God. Paul has made it very clear that God is not done with Israel. There are prophecies still outstanding that you cannot spiritualize away because if the Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ were fulfilled literally, why now are you going to sit here and say that the future prophecies that were yet to be fulfilled clearly are now spiritual and given to the church. You're twisting the scriptures. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. The plain sense meaning there really is no reason to spiritualize the scriptures away to mean something that they don't just to fulfill your theology. And you could probably launch the same at me while you're doing the same thing. The thing of it is, is I'm taking a plain sense interpretation in a sense, as some other people call it a literal interpretation, plain sense, meaning it means what it says and it says what it means. Now, understandably, you have points in the scriptures where it's symbolic in nature. You have the beast in Revelation. The beast is obviously a symbolism of Antichrist, but it's a symbol of a real man that will come. The Antichrist will come and unfortunately will deceive 
a great number of people and it's prophesied to happen. I don't necessarily rejoice in it. God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. I'm not going to either. And it's going to happen. Millions, if not billions of people are going to die in the tribulation. Some of them will be Jewish people. As a matter of fact, there is a uh, very leftist liberal commentator, if you will, on YouTube of a channel called the Young Turks, and his name is Cenk Uger. And he actually, I heard on a podcast where he says, you Christians who want the end times to happen so bad, all you really want to see is another Jewish Holocaust. Because in the book of Zechariah, I believe it's chapter, it may be chapter nine. Don't quote me on that. I'm having a hard time remembering the reference at this point. However, talks about how only a third of those who escape will live. So the thought process is once the abomination that causes desolation, see also uh, Daniel chapter 9 and Matthew 24 verse 20, where whenever they see the abomination of desolation, which I believe was elaborated upon in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where uh, Paul talks about the man of lawlessness will set himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. I believe this is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And those that have to flee, it will only be a third of the Jewish people who are alive at that time and will be kept and nourished until the end of the tribulation. Yes, there will be a great number of Jewish people that die. There will be a great number of Gentiles that die during the tribulation. That's sad. And that is prophecy to happen. And the thing of it is, is that once you sin one time, you're worthy of judgment. I mean, it is that simple. In Ezekiel 18, verses 4 and 20, it says, The soul that sins shall die. And in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If God has mercy on any soul that has sinned, he has been infinitely gracious. And it sounds horrible and terrible to say that millions, if not billions, are going to die in the tribulation. But it is God's justice. And we cannot say that God has not been merciful. Jesus died almost 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead. 2,000 years. He has been merciful to not let judgment fall yet. Today is the acceptable day of salvation because you don't know when this is going to happen. And we don't even have to talk about that. We can also talk about how you may be driving down the highway, wherever you are, whatever country you're in, and be hit by another car. Your car may have a mechanical malfunction and crash, and you can die. You may have a massive heart attack right here, right now. You may have a brain aneurysm right here and right now, and your life is done. And you say, you might say, well, I'm going to put off this, this, yeah, I'll worry about eternity and all that when I get older. You know, I'm going to live my life. Though. I'm not going to worry about this religion or this Jesus thing right now. I'm going to live my life and whatever, come what may. Well, you're very brave. You're braver than me. I'm going to say, because if you're going to roll the dice with the Lord of the universe and you're going to have to face him, and in my opinion, this is why you're probably afraid to die. You may not think you are, 
But when it comes down to it, a lot of people don't want to talk about death. A lot of people don't even want to make a will because, well, that concedes that they may die one day. And they don't want to think about that. They just want to think about living their life. But the thing of it is, is that judgment is coming. Even if you don't believe in this whole thing of the tribulation, it's ipso facto, you will die one day. All of us do. Death gets 10 out of 10 of us. One thing that is, two things that are rather that are certain in life are death and taxes. You don't know when it's coming for you. So if you live until this tribulation thing hits, but which by then it's too late, I believe that the church will be taken out before the rapture occurs. And by taken out, I'm sorry, will be taken out before the tribulation occurs. And by taken out, I believe that he will take us up with him. It's interesting because um, in Re Revelation chapter four and Revelation 11 are also illustrations of the rapture, I believe. In Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 4, God said, come up here to the Apostle Paul, or to the Apostle John, rather, and he was immediately in heaven. And when the two witnesses are killed in Revelation 11, and then they're raised to life, God says, come up here, and immediately they were taken up into the clouds in the same way that Jesus was taken up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And it's also talked about that the church is going to have the same thing happen to them that is illustrated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, going into chapter 5 through verse 11. Okay? We are going to have the same thing happen to us, but before the tribulation occurs, because as 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, verse 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, and Revelation verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, and also alluded to in John 14, verses 1 through 3, we, the church, are not appointed to wrath. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go away, but if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be where I am. Why? If he's coming back down to Israel and he goes, he's not, he's clearly not preparing a place in Israel right now. As far as Jesus actually building a place for his people, the church, he was taken up into heaven and he's been gone some 2000 years. So where do you think he's going to take his people to be with him? To heaven. So I went on an eight-minute rant, uh, basically to implore you and to beg you to please, right now, I want you to receive Jesus Christ. Please, just receive Jesus Christ and receive the grace of God and have your sins forgiven. To receive eternal life. And I'm going to go into depth in the next segment coming up just in a few seconds on how to do that. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to 
confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.